Well, folks, it's Jerry Adams here, Irish, August Tame Agiri Nis Far. So, Tasilla Gomsago will Shibsha, Gomoy Fasta. I've just finished uh, a very good book. It's by Michal Smith, and it's published by Marion Press, and it's called UDR Declassified. And some of you may know anyway, but for those of you who don't, on April the 1st, 1970, the Ulster Defence Regiment of the British Army formally took its place in the ranks of the British Army. And the UDR was a locally recruited militia established by the British government following its disbandment of the B-Specials the year before. And when the UDR was disbanded 22 years later, it had achieved an even greater level of sectarian notoriety than the specials. Michal Smith, who is an advocacy case worker with the Pat Finucane Centre, and who previously worked as a diplomat in the Department of Foreign Affairs in Dublin, has published UDR Declassified. And it's an account of the British Army Regiment, which looks at the background to the regiment and the traditions from which it was born the experience of those who served in the UDR and acknowledges their losses. And it also aims to show the range of illegal, collusive and murderous acts of some of its members. And Michal Smith describes the book as being not a history of the regiment, rather an attempt to tell what Whitehall, Number 10 Downing Street and the Ministry of Defence in Britain had to say about the regiment in papers found among declassified files. The British government was warned of the dangers of establishing the UDR at the time when it was set up. The Ulster Special Constabulary, the B-Specials, had been a unionist paramilitary militia renowned for its sectarian and violent actions against the nationalist people of the North. It, along with the RUC, was the armed wing of the Unionist state since the state was coerced upon us and upon the people of Ireland. In sixty nine and nineteen sixty nine the Beast Fascists played a leading role in attacks on civil rights demonstrators, and during the pogroms in Belfast which saw people killed, hundreds of Catholic homes destroyed, and thousands of citizens forced to flee as refugees. The Hunt Report in October 1969 called for its disbandment and the creation of a new force. Concern among Unionists that the disbandment of the B-Specials was assuaged by Unionist leaders. Stormont Prime Minister Chichester Clark said on October the 13th, 1969, the name and organisation of the Specials will change but our new security reserve will have the arms and other equipment it needs to be a highly effective defence force, not for the conditions of 1921, but for the 1970s. Come and ask you. So, as I've said, the UDR was set up on January the 1st, 1970. It became operational on April the 1st. And by the end of March... The first 420 
of the 2,400 recruits into the UDR were former members of the B-Specials. In some areas, whole platoons of the Specials joined the UDR. And within a short time, its reputation for sectarianism grew. In addition, as Michal Smith acknowledges, for elements of the British establishment, the UDR was used as a surrogate counter-gang. The Ministry of Defence knew UDR weapons were systematically stolen and used to murder Catholics. The British were in fact well aware of what was going on and frequently referred to it internally as collusion from the early 1970s. In the first 10 years of his existence, over 200 members of the UDR were convicted of offences, many relating to sectarian murders. Smith reports how in 1976 the Hibernia magazine catalogued a list of more than 100 UDR soldiers charged with crimes. He also notes how an internal investigation into 10 UDR based at Girdwood Barracks in North Belfast concluded that up to 70 members of the battalion had links to loyalist paramilitary groups at some level, while it was also suspected that up to 30 members of the battalion had engaged in large-scale fraud, claiming an estimated 30 to 47,000 pounds sterling for duties not carried out. The money was strongly suspected of being passed to the local Ulster Volunteer Force. UDR soldiers also formed part of the Glenan Gang, which operated out of a farm in Armagh owned by James Mitchell. It was responsible for over 120 killings, and scores of injuries, including the Dublin and Monaghan bombs in May 1974, which killed 33 people. Sometimes the involvement of UDR soldiers was down to the individual, but frequently it was part of a structured process of control and collusion by elements of the RUC, the RUC Special Branch, and various British security agencies, including the Force Reconnaissance Unit, MI5 and MI6. The 1984 issue of Ulster, the UDA magazine, remember these organisations, the UDA, the UVF and so on were all, well, for part of their time, uh, illegal organisations. The UDA, interestingly enough, may have been legal at the time uh, in 1984 that I'm referring to. Anyway, their magazine listed 41 lifers belonging to the UDR and Long Case. 24 of the 41 UDA lifers came from the security forces, 5 from the UDR. Smith concludes that the UDR functioned as a faculty for loyalist groups within which paramilitaries had access to military training and equipment. There was also a steady traffic of weaponry and intelligence data from UDR personnel and bases, all moving this information into the waiting arms of loyalist paramilitary groups. This weaponry and intelligence was used repeatedly to kill Catholic civilians. He also states that Whitehall, the NIO and the British MOD Ministry of Defence knew there was collusion both in weapons thefts and in murderous attacks, but combating such collusion was never a priority. For many people, that's within the British establishment, the UDR was simply the B-Specials with better weapons. 
UDRD classified as a hugely informative account of a part of the conflict and of the role of the Ulster Defence Regiment, which generally gets scant mention today. The forensic examination of declassified documents by Michal Smith and others has already resulted in similar publications, including Anne Codwalder's Lethal Allies and Margaret Irwin's Estate in Denial. Tens of thousands of such files still remain hidden by the British state and wait to be uncovered and examined. Some like those relating to the killing of two children by plastic bullets, Paul Withers and Julie Livingstone remain closed for another 40 years. The reason for this and the rationale between and behind the British government's amnesty proposals to end conflict-related persecutions is to ensure that the truth about Britain's role in the war remains hidden. Michal Smith says, The denial of access to history is a part of the continuum of British state efforts to obscure its colonial past, to protect the reputation of the British state of generations earlier, to cover up the conceding and manipulative history, to sculpt an official narrative in a manner more associated with a dictatorship than with a mature and competent democracy. So UDR Declassified by Michal Smith, published by Marian Press, is well worth reading. And now for something lighter. I, uh, nearly out of the COVID thing now, so it actually reacquainted me with my long cash radio days. And I, I listen to the radio a lot. I always have. I'm actually more of a wireless listener than a television viewer. Radio Nagel Takta, Radio Falsha, RT Radio 1, Lurig FM, and Radio Ulster. And COVID has reunited me with all these. It was just like being back in Long Cash. I'm a long-standing fan of John Bennett's Sunday Club on Radio Ulster. His music selections match my tastes, as do his dulcet tones as sleep beckons. Many a time he lulled me to my kalu in Malaba in my lonely cell. And when I was in Long Cash, downtown radio was a particularly favourite station, particularly and especially Tommy Sands' programmes. And the request shows were always a favour, regardless of the station. The unsuspecting presenter would cause ructions in our wing after lock-up when he or she read out, best wishes to wee Mickey, who's away from home for a while, from Sadie, his everlasting sweetheart. Or, happy birthday, Walter, from your mummy. We're having a big party for you. I wonder did they ever guess that their requests were for long-suffering political prisoners? And sometimes that these requests came from other long-suffering political prisoners pretending to be mummies or sweethearts. Poor Mickey. Walter Bacht. You can guess the excitement it caused when someone's name was read out and how much slagging and banter arose from that. Then later, 
I used to love Jerry Anderson and Sean Coyle on Radio Foil, Free Spirits, brilliant broadcasting. So keep listening and stay well. Gunyuri and Ta Livsha Gular and we'll go out with Queen on Radio Gaga.
Gaga. All we hear is Radio Gaga